We're in week two of Advent, and our theme is arrival, waiting, seeing, and believing. If you're like me, this year, it's brought a lot of different things in the mix. (laughs) Um, There is still a lot that I'm waiting on God for. And this week, as I was preparing this message, I just felt this wave of exhaustion that I've never experienced before. And I think it really kind of framed that, man, I'm really waiting for God to come through on a lot of things. And this week, actually, just, I read this quote by author Annie B. Jones, and I think she really articulates what this Advent season might be like for many of us. She says, I always come limping into Advent, desperate for light, but almost too tired to look for it. And then I remember, the light came looking for me, and that's the whole point. And we're waiting for the light to come in Advent. This light is the Messiah. And this week, we're continuing looking at stories that help us think through how to wait, how to believe this Advent season. And today, we get to look at the life of Rahab. I love Rahab's story. And I think you will too, as we keep going through. (laughs) But it's filled with personality and wit and boldness from this single woman. And literal, there's destruction and war, and chaos, and this is not a Christmas Hallmark movie like we are in the season for. I think it's better. (laughs) It's the backdrop for our real lives, what's actually happening. And what's even more intriguing in Rahab's story is actually what and how Rahab is waiting, expecting, and wanting to believe in in the in-between major movements of Rahab's story. We can identify that Rahab is like us, Rahab is our unlikely heroine of faith. She is boldly empowered to wait on God because she is believing and trusting that God will and is coming. And we're gonna read and discover this expansive story of Rahab. So I want us to settle in and picture ourselves in this story. We begin in Joshua 2. It says, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim, Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes. The men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed." When we heard it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. 
Let's pray. God, thank you for being with us. As we begin to let Rahab's story and your word sink in for us this morning, I pray that we are able to relate to this in such a tangible and real way with the story and with Rahab. God, I pray that you are with us wherever we are today, no matter what we're feeling or sensing or what's happening all around us in our lives today. We trust that you're with us. Would you inspire us and help us live in awe and power and wonder and confidence and boldness as we wait on you? We thank you for your presence. Amen. So if your story is similar to mine growing up, I didn't really hear much about Rahab. Her character existed in this really diminished way where people either diminished her role completely, so they didn't acknowledge any contribution, or they went the other extreme and associated her with only her like profession. So there really was no story in between that gave me any indication of who Rahab was. She was really actually downplayed. She was called maybe Rahab the businesswoman, or people often called her the innkeeper. But church, we're not gonna do that today. We're gonna call her what she was and how she was referred to in scripture. She is Rahab the prostitute. She was even referred to this as the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11. So we are going to give voice to what is truly part of her story. You see, and despite Rahab's circumstances, this prostitute has always been on God's radar. Much like our stories, God has and is always at work behind the scenes. At first glance, there are a lot of different kinds of walls in Rahab's life. See, Rahab is living and surviving along the peripheral outskirts of the city and culture. Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab's profession added its own cultural negative connotations, and there probably wasn't much she could control about this profession because it was most likely a means to survive for her and her family. She had no other alternatives. Rahab was also ethnically a Canaanite. She was the recipient of oppression and hatred. Remember, Canaan was the promised land that the God had promised the Israelites. Remember that story where they're wandering for 40 years in the desert trying to get to the promised land? This is it. Canaan is this land. The Canaanites and Israelites were enemies. And this site of Canaan was a site of destruction. Rahab also was a woman. Women's contribution to society was seen as almost invisible. Women were excluded from society, education, and religious practices. And Rahab had walls of discrimination to overcome just because of her gender. And Rahab's role as a single, unmarried businesswoman and sole provider for her family was very unusual for her. Rahab even lives on the walls and the physical margin of the city. Her home was located on the wall of Jericho. So she's on the outskirts of the outskirts. She knew what it was like to be on the margins. We know there are external walls surrounding Jericho. And we can ask ourselves, why were there even walls around this? And then we even can ask ourselves, well, why do we put walls up around anything? We have walls for protection, they're for safety, they guard 
and they defend. And see, church, the truth is we also have walls. We have walls to protect our hearts. We have walls to keep people out. We have walls to isolate. And we have walls for the same reasons as Rahab does. We have to protect. We want to defend. We want to isolate. And we want to keep what's on the inside safe. Our walls might come in the form of the way that we protect ourselves and our hearts. See, maybe we don't dare get too close to anyone because we've been so deeply hurt that we build up walls around us so that we don't actually let anyone come close. And maybe we don't let anyone come close because we're actually really scared of what's underneath the feelings, the pain, the loss, the loneliness. We keep building walls up. Maybe it's unforgiveness or bitterness. We continue to let bitterness grow us apart and unforgiveness isolate us from God and from other people. We have a wall up because we've been deeply disappointed by God or people. And we've lost faith in people coming through for us in this wall, so we keep fortifying walls around us and we actually have stopped dreaming or hoping. I think of the own walls I have in my own life. I have walls to keep other people from seeing my pain, from knowing my fears, and to keep me more comfortable and safe. Like anyone, I wanna hide things. You know, I think about the times I've gone through breakups or relational failure, and I question where hope is. It's kind of that moment of panic where I feel like I'm experiencing some sort of expiration date on my life or on dating that I'm somehow running out of time. I'd like to build more walls. Maybe I'm being overlooked because I'm not married or I don't have kids. And maybe it's those years I spent really grieved that actually motherhood was not going to look the way that I thought it would. I build more walls and isolate further. I think of the friendships and relationships that have ended because of betrayal or or failures and those deep wounds that leave gaping holes in my life. And then the unforgiveness and bitterness I keep feeding because I'm too scared to figure out what's underneath it all. I just want to protect. And even more personal, this shows up in my life as being an Asian American woman and a transracial adoptee. There is a lot of liminal space that I exist in like Rahab. And by liminal, I mean this in-between space where society and culture puts labels on you that cannot always be positive. Sometimes I'm confronted with negative behaviors or discrimination that might want me to drive me further inward and isolate and protect and guard. These are all walls. And just like Rahab, there are things that we actually are hiding from. We want to guard ourselves and our hearts as we build up walls to keep people out. We build walls to help ward off disappointments of waiting. And walls are things that we sometimes hurry through so we actually don't have to experience pain or suffering. You know, as we read about Rahab above, we are actually intrigued also by her backstory We see how she responds to encountering the Israelite spies, and we see that she actually chooses to hide them from on her roof. She takes it one step further for bold action because she actually keeps them hidden when the Jericho soldiers ask about it. She chooses to withhold the true location of the spies. And I want to mention at first glance, maybe back in verse 4, we might think that Rahab just made it okay to lie. We might start pondering, what in the world is God doing in this moment? Do we think that actually God just threw moral compass out the window? And I would say, not at all. 
I want to say that this is a type of tension that we see here in Rahab's story is actually a type of tension that can be found throughout scripture and the stories of God. The first ones that come to my mind are stories like Tamar or Abraham or King David, or even we can look back on last week, the story of Ruth and Naomi. These are all stories so messy and chaotic and so human. But this also shows that that despite the messiness and imperfections, God still uses them and us in miraculous ways. We see God doing this in Rahab. I also want to challenge us further. Instead of letting maybe this type of dynamic or tension really mess with our theology or maybe even distract us from what is actually happening in the context of Rahab's story, I want to challenge us to take a step further. Let's study deeper. This is a dynamic of tension that is significant because what Rahab is actually doing here is waiting on God and trusting him more. Yes, Rahab was more concerned about bringing forth and submitting to the kingdom of God rather than following the earthly king of Jericho. See, friends, God is always at work. So we continue to pick back up in verse 8. It says, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below." First, I just want to highlight that statement, melting in fear. When was the last time that we melted in fear? This is like awesome, powerful imagery from the power of God. And in this moment, Rahab actually remembers what is true. It changes everything for her. This is the moment that we see that Rahab, in this melting in fear moment, becomes the first woman to prophetically announce the will of God in the Old Testament. There is power in remembering and knowing the truth. We also see in this moment, Rahab is getting ready for deliverance. She is ready for her own walls to come down and she lowers her guard and she hides and protects the spies. Rahab realizes the state of actually where she is physically. She is in Jericho and Jericho is encased in walls. It's there to protect and guard the city. Israel can't get into the promised land because of the wall. And Rahab is literally on the wall. She's thinking, wow, my life has a lot of walls. I can't get through them. I can't get over them. I can't get under them. And Rahab is ready for freedom. And church, this is the moment she realized that only the way to freedom is for God to bring the walls down. So since she begins to understand this, she continues to wait on God. In her waiting, we see Rahab boldly ask, picking up in verse 12, now then, Please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. The spies respond, our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell me what we're doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. 
So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and, they go, and then go on your way. First, I just wanna mention what a boss. Rahab is such a gutsy woman. <laughs> she is so brave. But because Rahab remembers and knows the truth, she is not afraid. She's actually empowered to boldly ask and actually begin, as we see, to boldly give directives and strategy and instructions to save the spies' lives and for God to bring deliverance. She is bold. She continues to wait. Rahab knows that the walls need to come down. She knows that walls need to come down for freedom to happen. Walls need to come down for Israel to get into the promised land. Walls need to come down for God to bring about his purposes. And walls need to come down for Rahab and her family to be rescued. And Rahab continues to wait and believe. Freedom only comes when the walls come down. And church, the same is for us. If we want to walk into our promised land and freedom, our walls need to come down. If we want what God has for you, our walls need to come down. And if we want to experience the fullness of what God has, our walls have got to come down. Let's continue to see how Rahab did this because there's so much we can learn from her. In context, so we see her, she's waiting. She's gathered her family and her friends and directed, and they're waiting in her home. The scarlet cord is out the window as waiting and obedience. And they're waiting. And they keep waiting. And here's the thing. She doesn't know when they're coming back. She hasn't been clued in on that situation. But she believes. She's expecting God. And they're waiting. We get to see what actually happens in this story as Rahab is waiting. We'll pick back up in Joshua 6. It says, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab and her entire family and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute. 
with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Church, we remember that freedom only comes when the walls come down. There's a lot that we can learn from Rahab here. One of the first things I think is Rahab shows us that walls come down through vulnerability. Like Rahab, when she's waiting, it exposed walls. Actively waiting is vulnerable. Rahab trusted God that God was who he was and that only he could bring freedom. I think this is like us, for us, I wonder if we ever think like Rahab did. There are literal walls and destruction happening all around us. And I wonder if she ever thought maybe God actually isn't gonna show up. Do you think she ever wavered questioning that? And maybe she did, but here's the thing, she chose to continue to believe and wait. I also wonder what Rahab thought when she's all crammed in there with her family and Joshua and the army is marching around the city, not once, but twice. And she's probably thinking, okay, maybe three times, but no, he keeps going. And she's like, well, what's gonna happen? What, are we gonna be safe? She continues to wait. I also wonder what's being revealed in the moments where we feel like things are falling apart. Remember, actively waiting is vulnerable. This shows up in my own life when I think about conversations I've had over the years about dating and marriage and partnership. You know, in my 20s, I felt like I really had no clue what I was doing. So if you're in your 20s, it's normal, like, to question your life. <laughs> it's okay. And I hate to say that in your 30s, when I hit my 30s, it seemed like I actually kind of knew a little bit, but actually I didn't. And so I just keep discovering what God has for my life. I also somehow then turned 40, and I was like, well, what just happened? Like, <laughs> is this going to keep going? So... But here's the thing, somehow along the way, I started believing the lie that maybe I wasn't good at relationships or maybe that like my time was expiring or like everything, everybody would be snatched up or something. I have no idea, but I just believed this lie and it's just really weird narrative of a wall. And I wrestled and I still wrestle. And man, active waiting is vulnerable. There were deep, dark seasons of grief. I think of the times where different hopes and dreams had died in my 20s and 30s, maybe specifically around where I thought I was so exposed. Maybe my plans of motherhood are not gonna look the way that they thought they would look. But I trusted God, and I'm still waiting on God. You know, I can also say that this point of deep vulnerability, of actively waiting where it's exposing things, opened me up to actually a new place with God where he can actually expand and redefine and reimagine what my life is going to look like. He is expansive of dreams and visions for what our life looks like when we're not cowering away with our walls up. This type of deep soul and heart work can only be done in active waiting and vulnerability. Rahab also shows us that when walls come down, when we walk in obedience. Rahab had to lower her own walls in order to follow God. She had to open up her heart and mind and life to actually hiding the spies and to the reminder and remember God's truth. She responded in obedience to who God is and what she knows. 
Rahab waits in hope and expectation because God told her to do it. See, sometimes obedience comes in the form of action. We see Rahab's obedience from following the spy's command to tie the scarlet cord. But we also see the spy's obedience come in following the commands and directions from Rahab. But also sometimes obedience comes in staying put. See, Rahab has seen how she responds and acts to God's prompting and waiting on his arrival because he's going to do what he said he was going to do. We see it in the literal destruction of Jericho. She stays put. She waits and she believes God when he says, I am coming. I think for us, how many of us have felt like this in these moments where we begin to forget and maybe think, did God really say go? Or did he say stay? Or maybe I don't know what he's saying. I also think in this season particularly, the holidays, maybe the year end, the end of the pandemic, if it is even, (laughs) there is this urge to maybe worry or hurry or relocate or just do something to escape. Rahab invites us to consider what obedience looks like in our lives. Sometimes it looks like not moving, even when all we want to do is run away. I think how this applies in my life of obedience. We're on this like dating relationship talk, so I want to be real and say that obedience, being faithful to fidelity to Jesus, to following him and living a celibate life as a 40-year-old woman is so hard. It is so tough. But I do it because it's worth it. I know what God has promised me. I know what he says. Sometimes I think, wow, yes, maybe in my 20s and 30s, I could have just married any person on the street. I don't, (laughs) if that's my diminished look, I don't advise that. Like, don't do that. But we get to open up to what God envisions for our life in this, in obedience to his word and to his promises. This reshapes dating, relationships, marriage, everything. Obedience comes to not give in to the lies that I believe about what maybe hookup culture tells us. Maybe it's like the lie that I'm comparing myself to other people's lives. And also, obedience comes in believing not the lie that what dating apps might tell us, that we make humans commodities, or that we actually don't remember that humans are made in the image of God. This redefines relationships. I think obedience and clinging to these promises, I actually can redefine and reimagine what partnership looks like. And also to dispel the lie that there is no hierarchy. One is not better than the other. They all lead to God. In obedience, I found actually the possibility of flourishing and the kingdom of God as a community as a whole. Waiting on God expands our imagination and purposes. Listen, fidelity, faithfulness, and celibacy is not actually a crutch or an abuse of power. No, it's actually a divine act of love and intention for my life and your life. We continue to believe in God. Rahab also shows us that walls come down in community. Rahab's waiting and believing in the arrival of freedom was not just about her. First, we see this in the bold ask of saving her family. In Joshua 2, it says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. 
Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. She's saying my freedom and your freedom are tied together. Second, her deliverance is tied to the spies' lives. We see back in Joshua 6, it says, our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you, don't tell me what we, if you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. Joshua also said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. She is illustrating in her waiting and saying that your deliverance is going to come by what delivered us. I think for us, we can ask ourselves, what if what God is doing in our life and the lives are on behalf of somebody else? Another way of framing this is, who else might be brought to freedom through your freedom? And what if our freedom or our walls coming down are because of someone else's faithfulness? And church, what fulfilled promises might we need to be reminded of? How can we remind one another that God is true? I think of my story and how this points to the times I've experienced deep disappointment and something maybe I dearly desired. It's this moment where we're left feeling alone and isolated and I'm questioning God if he actually even noticed if I'm hurting or I'm suffering or if I'm in pain. You know, my community reminds me to not give in to the lies that life only begins when I'm partnered. My community reminds me that when I experience deep relational pain, life is actually worth living and experiencing all that God has for me. Listen, even as I was writing the sermon, I was chatting with a friend about how exposed I feel when I'm like, nobody wants to like hear about my lack of dating stories at 40. Like, <laughs> and like you guys, he chuckled and was like, no, your story means something. So keep sharing it. And church, I wanna encourage you, keep sharing your story. We need to hear testimonies of God's faithfulness. My community has even helped me unlock dreams and potential that I never would have realized or dreamed for myself. In fact, this happens right now as I'm preaching. I never wanted to do this. (laughs) I'm introverted. I want to be at home reading books, like quietly. (laughs) But if it wasn't for my community to experience freedom, they never would have helped me unlock something and a gifting and a passion that I actually really enjoy and love. They actually helped dispel the lie that my life was over at 25. Friends, I didn't start preaching until I was 38, and now I'm 40, and I'm just getting started. So, (laughs) yes. But freedom came for others in my community to help unlock potential and dreams for us. We need one another. You know, and even with all of these things that Rahab has revealed um, in waiting and believing, we have even more good news from God. God does not stop there. He doesn't just want to bring our walls down and he doesn't just want to bring deliverance. He actually wants redemption. God's freedom brings redemption. We see that Rahab's story becomes our story. Rahab's waiting and believing led to generations of redemption. 
You know, sometimes we get to see small glimpses of God at work, and it's so beautiful. I cling for those moments. I can see that. And by God's grace, Rahab was taken out of destruction and into a whole new lineage. You see, back when we refer to Joshua 6, when she was saved and rescued and brought to live with the Israelites, we see that actually in Jewish culture, someone like Rahab, a prostitute, would never have the means or ability to get married, let alone bear children. But God had other plans. Rahab did get married. And Rahab had a son. I also like to think the freedom that she experienced from God as she waited and expected on him to come through, this shaped the type of woman that she was. This also shaped the type of parent that she would be. God's faithfulness threaded throughout there. You see, Rahab had a son named Boaz. And we know from last week in Ruth and Naomi's story, Boaz shows up as this man full of integrity in honor and love for God. Boaz is known in Ruth's story as the kinsman redeemer. God wants our redemption. God is always at work and God always shows up even when we don't see it. And even further, God didn't just want to deliver Rahab. He wanted to redeem and redefine her actual entire bloodline. Rahab, like Ruth, we see is also listed in the genealogy of Jesus our Messiah in Matthew 1. God redefined Rahab's bloodline. And even more, if <laughs> it can't get any better, God has even more plans for Rahab. See, people often remember her as how she was referenced, as Rahab the prostitute that we talked about earlier. This would be like us being known forever for something we did, like when I was five years old and I lied. I was gonna be forever known as Jessica the liar. That's not it. <laughs> See, many people throughout history only saw Rahab and associated her with this title, this negative label of prostitute. But what I find interesting is that God left this title in here in scriptures intentionally, but not because he wanted to remind her of a sin or a dark past. No, he lists her genealogy and her space and place in the hall of faith because his purpose is not to erase old identities. It is for proof that God exchanged Rahab's position for his purpose. Yes. <laughs> God redefines and brings redemption and God keeps the most important title first. In closing, we can see that Rahab in this story that God works in real ways. He doesn't prefer a fairy tale or perfection. He actually wants real life. He wants our real, raw lives and stories. And God uses every single part of our story, no matter how messy it is. He didn't pick and choose the parts he liked and didn't like. No, God doesn't also ask us to fix up all the messy, chaotic parts and only present the shiny new ones. No, God is only interested in using all of our stories, all of our moments that we're waiting and believing in God to come. And like Rahab's story, our lives with God are a beautiful ebb and flow of waiting and seeing and believing and expecting for God to show up. And God doesn't just stop at breaking down walls. He wants more of us and more of our lives. He wants our freedom and he wants our redemption. I wanna invite the band up. And as we close, 
I want to lead us in some moments of reflection and prayer. So if you're able, get comfy, however posture that looks with your eyes closed. Or you can look at me too, that's fine, and the band coming up. But anything you can do to concentrate. And I would love for us, if we can, close our eyes and acknowledge God's presence with us in this room. And God, would you be with us as we continue to search our own lives and story? Maybe something's coming up where I want us to think about something that we're really waiting for. And I want to challenge ourselves as where it's that tender spot, something that we desperately long for. And we think about that, we think about Rahab, how she had to lower her own walls. And God, I ask that you show us, like, where are the walls? What do those look like? And how do we get to start taking those down? God, I ask that you instill hope for what this looks like as we begin to take them down. And also, God, can you remind us of our promises and how to act courageously and boldly when we think about our walls. Also, we could ask, what's our scarlet rope? What do we need to be reminded of about your promises? This one, I believe, is for a really tender part of our church. This might be people who are listening to this that God wants you to know he sees your pain and your suffering and that tender, tender spot. You know, specifically, maybe you're thinking you tried being vulnerable with people and it didn't work out and it failed and maybe you made it worse. And maybe you're telling God, look, look where it got me, nowhere. But God, I pray that you comfort them and that where you feel that ache, that God's presence would be there. I pray for the courage for you to trust God again. God, would you show us hope in peace. God, would you help us remain faithful and obedient to believe and see what you are doing? And we believe and wait that freedom only comes when the walls come down.